man, one voice that stands alone. I give one choice to man the throne. Stand good and take shots, give it all I got. All I got is this microphone. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for another episode of Pulp Revelators. Uh, we decided to get together on this episode to discuss one of our favorite writers, well, at least some of us, um, most of us. Uh, every one of us enjoyed the last book that we discussed that I will be posting that episode actually very shortly. So you might get a twofer. Um, but we're going to go ahead and discuss Mr. Miracle by Tom King. Um, you just a little bit of background. Uh, Mr. Miracle is a character that uh, comes from the fourth world that was originally created by Jack Kirby, who um, at one point in time became very dissatisfied with his original publisher, Marvel, because he was creating all these characters, but received no rights to any of the characters and became very upset at that point. Um, and there was a big fallout between him and Stan Lee, who together they created the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, just so many different characters. Um, and at this point, he had left uh, in the middle of doing some Thor stories, and he was writing this series called Tales of Asgard. And he, it was left unfinished. And so at that point, he took some of the stories that he was planning for that. He moved to Marvel's rival, DC Comics, and took some of the stories that he originally had planned for uh, Tales of Asgard and repurposed them into the New Gods. And his original storyline was warring factions of the gods of Asgard that would lead to Ragnarok and the end of all things. So he took that concept and took it to DC and created the fourth world um, that was introduced in Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. Olsen. I don't, I don't know the original issue um, off the top of my head, but Jeez, I mean, what are you, why are you bothering doing the intro? Then? <laughs> <laughs> it was originally, it was originally intro, introduced in that. And then that continued on with stories of the new gods. And then there was Mr. Miracle, the forever people and the new gods. And so those four um, series ran in conjunction with one another. And even though they could be read separately, they were also could be read as one large crossover uh, prior to a time that these huge crossover events always happened or these huge crossover books. And you can read them all together into one story that he planned to be uh, finite. It, was, it wasn't supposed to be an ongoing story. He had planned an end, but the books got canceled prior to him being able to end it. And there's a more of a story about that that we can get into later uh, about how he did eventually come back and end it in the graphic novel. But obviously, the story continued on. It's been picked up from, by many writers, uh, Jim Starlin. Then uh, Steve Englehart wrote The New Gods. Jim Starlin wrote The New Gods. Grant Morrison wrote a bunch of stories um, in the early aughts featuring The New Gods. And then to this most recent series, and there have been others um, in between them that I'm forgetting, but this most recent one that we're focusing on is Mr. Miracle by Tom King. And, and King actually is, is co-writing The New Gods movie that, that they're going to be putting out whenever movies get back around. Uh, they haven't entered production yet. I haven't heard who the, you know, I don't know if it's been cast, 
but I know they have pulled in King and probably because Mr. Miracle did so well and, and won tons of Eisners and, um, you know, was, was loved by everybody, but Jeff, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> okay. Just give you a hard time. Um, but there's a, you know, I don't have the familiarity with the, with the whole uh, New Gods mythology in Fourth World, but I, I figured before reading this, I remember I wanted to read Jack Kirby's Mr. Miracle, which is one of those, um, you know, there are exclamation points after every sentence. Everything is larger than life. Everything is just, you know, uh, and he's literally escaping from things where uh, Tom King always comes with an existential angle. So, you know, you're, you're escaping, you know, death figuratively, but also one life to the other. And, um, you know, I, as, as we were saying a little bit um, prior to coming on, um, this kind of Mr. Miracle is just a, a trip. You know, if you're not kind of, you're trying to figure out what's real and what's not. You know who's real and who's and what reality is you're you're supposed to go to, um, and you just feel like there's a little bit of haunting going on here too. So your 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 the character's own personal mythology is coming back up at different times as memories and um, yeah, it's not a it's not a linear read that you just come to the end and go, oh, that was a great story. You know, it sits with you a little differently. I did take the time to Google it since I should have done this before our episode, but uh, Jack Kirby actually introduced the New Gods uh, back in 1971 um, with, I think it was just called New Gods Number One. And so uh, that was the one you forgot, Gary. <laughs> but the premise, you know, and, and, and King kind of lays this out too. You've got, you know, warring factions, as Gary said, of gods, you have good versus evil. And in this battle, in order to, to kind of come to peace, they take, you know, God's son, you know, who's the high father and dark side, who's basically the evil incarnate. And in order to create peace, they switch the kids to, you know, to be raised by the other so that, you know, and so you end up with this kind of nature versus nurture. Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Who, you know, what, um, and what character who are you are you looking for to be you know the next god or the son of god? So, uh, yeah, Trippium. Curious what you've got, Dustin. Uh, I I had a hard time reading it. I think because um, you get to the end and you don't. At least for me, I didn't realize that he actually died. I need you guys a little closure. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Bring it in. Um, this is just how tall I am. I'm actually standing up. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I didn't realize he died until like the very end. It was kind of like a Bruce Willis thing, or not Bruce Willis, but you know, spoiler alert kind of thing. I was just like, what? Oh, he actually succeeded in suiciding himself, right? Okay. Since Dustin jumped to that. I almost called him. I almost called him to Dustin, um, but um, since he jumped to that, let's go ahead and focus on the end first, um, which is doable in the storyline. Um, 
is that how everybody interpreted it? Did you interpret it as he was dead? Those of I you didn't not actually. Yeah. Okay. Say that again, Mike. I did not. I mean, but I think you you kind of wonder that all throughout because you know, the way it starts. You know, I have to say that you you you've got an opening scene of a comic book where the superhero and you know it's a superhero comic book, right? And and the superhero is you know, in the bathroom, having just tried to commit suicide, which is not how most superhero stories start. Um, and so you kind of have this game all along the way, you know, you know, what, what is real? Did he die early on or did he not? Um, you know, I, I guess I sort of didn't take it that way. Um, but yeah, you know, love to hear other people's thoughts on it. Well, because yeah, what glitches then, you know, what's the glitches with reality that he's having, you know, especially at the end, it seemed like all the glitches were coming together. Like he's sitting, you know, he's propped his legs up on dark side or he's, you know, um, talking with Orion again or yeah. So where help me interpret. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I kind of viewed those glitches as in his mind, he's dealing with a lot of, reality he has to face and and when you have all those multiple glitches at the end I, I feel like it was it was his mind forcing him to come to terms with who he was and who he's decided to be you know because he's he's a god in the outer realm and yet here he is in the inner realm he's he's a human with a baby another one on the way and he's trying to figure out whether he wants to sell his town home or not so he's got to come to terms with a lot of, of who he is it's kind of how I took it. Now, I could be totally wrong about that, but that's just kind of the way I, I took it. You know, we, we've, we've talked about another King book in Heroes of Crisis. And, and I think you've got that PTSD, you know, you, you've got Mr. Miracle, Scott Free, dealing with his past and all the different things that he's come through. And, you know, there's, there's a scene that I love where they're both talking and, um, yeah, I guess there's plot spoilers all through this, but uh, for us, but you know, Dark Side, in order to end the war, says, "All right, I'll 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 give up everything, you know, if you give me my grandson, you know, give me your your child," and then that starts the whole prop that loop again. Like, okay, are we just going to repeat this cycle and go right back to what happened, or are they going to make a different decision? And and Scott Free, Mister Miracle, saying. Well, we we came through it all right, and that and her, her Barda's question back to him is, "Did we? You know, did we come through it okay?" I mean, clearly they're 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 tainted and and messed up and having all kinds of issues, and so then making a different decision for their child and their relationship, you know, and breaking with the past and breaking the cycle, um, you know, I don't that that was pretty cool to me. I'm gonna um like. Tom King said, you didn't need the background necessary to this, um, but it, it does help a little bit. So I'm gonna go into a little bit more history um, and to include just like the motivations of the writer. So um, when you go back and look at the time that this was uh, originally created, again, I'm gonna go back to Jack Kirby. Um, I don't know if you guys can tell, but I'm kind of a fan of Jack Kirby's. But, um, you know, this was one of his most personal works. He was a soldier. Um, he was Jewish. He grew up in a really hard Jewish neighborhood and made everything of himself 
um, just by himself. He made it. And when he reached the epitome of his dream, a comic creator for his family, which he always wanted to do, it was essentially taken away from him by the company he was working for, or at least that's how he felt. Um, it's well documented that the breakup wasn't a good breakup. He wasn't like, they didn't part ways like, woohoo. Um, you know, so he's come into the series that he's creating basically raw, just from previous ideas. And he's bringing all that into it. And then creates Scott Free. And um, Scott Free is, if you look at his character, um, you know, there were some Christian concepts, which I think he freely admitted in this, especially with the creation of Scott Free. Scott Free um, was like the Christ character. He's literally the son of God. High Father was like the high God of all the uh, new gods. And then he was sacrificed for the greater good. Now, he was given the dark side. Now, this, you know, different from Christ, there was no choice in it for him. It's like his his destiny was always decided for him, um, which, you know, you can still argue some more Christ-like qualities. You know, Christ Christ's destiny was this. But then, like, you look at this even, there's even a bigger clue at how personal this storyline was for him. And Mr. Miracle was the primary book, even though it's the fourth world and there are the new gods and all that. Mr. G Miracle was the book that you read. You could say, all right, that one has heart. I mean, the original series ends with the marriage of him and Big Barda. So, um, and it's actually kind of uh, documented that Big Barda is literally in character and almost everything except for size, basically, based on um, Roz Kirby, his wife. So their relationship is so, is based on um, Jack Kirby's. Now, I don't know if she was like, if she would slap him down and say, stand up again, um, that'd be neat to see. But uh, I did go ahead and hunt down a picture of her and let's see if I can do this. Uh, the host won't let me screen share. So- <laughs> let, me, let me see if I can change that. All right. So- um, so there was, there's that. So there was that going into the series. And then um, in interviews with Tom King. It, Try just, again, buddy. This is a neat, okay. So now that I can share, let's see, share screen. All right, so. So there, I don't know if you guys can see it or hear me. Mm -hmm. there, so there. You can hear you. There's a young Jack Kirby and his wife, Roz. Big Barda. Yep. So I just thought that that was kind of a neat little trivia piece. Mm -hmm. um, so then you read interviews with Tom King moving into the story and he was in a really dark place. Um, he never really explained it exactly what it was, but there were things from childhood that were affecting him. And then um, he also isn't happy with the world, how it is right now. I mean, you know, we might be able to relate to that while he wrote this story. So he did his research as, as of course you can tell and a big part of the new God story. And I swear I'll be quick and let someone else speak, but I, <laughs> I can dominate this whole entire discussion. I gotta be careful um, is the anti-life equation. Uh, the whole mission of the original story of dark side was to find the anti-life equation so he could take over everything. Um, and the way it was originally written is that it is a um, it's a it's a formula for total control 
um, of everything. And that's what he's searching for. And it's always existed on earth, whether it be in pieces and, you know, different writers have um, kind of exemplified it in different ways, but uh, the writer who really kind of um, did an amazing job of it was Grant Morrison. And this is his version of the anti-life equation. Loneliness plus alienation plus fear plus despair plus self-worth divided by mockery divided by condemnation divided by misunderstanding times guilt times shame times failure times judgment to the nth power equals Y where Y equals hope and N equals folly. Love equals lies life equals death and self equals dark side. Wow. I was told there'd be no math in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it can be said that um, Scott and his drear and, you know, the, the suicide at the beginning of the story, since Dustin went to the end, let's start at the beginning real quick. The suicide at the beginning of the story, um, it can be argued that in his despair and his boredom, um, and all the reasons he had discussed throughout the, the book for doing it, whether he wanted to find something new to escape from or whether he was bored with his life, um, it can be argued that he was infected with the anti-life equation at that point. Mm -hmm. um, basically an equation that's telling you that life isn't worth living, um, which you would give up ultimate control of your life if you honestly believe that. So throughout the book as you see those dark side is it's always kind of during a moment or after a moment of where he's had great hope and been happy and then suddenly that appears and it's almost like it's the anti-life equation popping back up to remind him dark side is dark side is and um you know it appears throughout the book at at opportune moments so it was like all planned and kind of amazing when you look at it there's also a scene at, at the end um, where he's come to terms with who he is and the life that he has with Big Bart and um, the TV remote goes missing. And as tragic as that is, her own response is, dark side is. Like, so <laughs> everything bad that happens, there's <laughs> there's your sign, you know? I'm starting to out there. I, the funny thing is the two things with you, if you look at the um the results of this this book in popular culture dark side is is on mug it's it's all kinds of, of you know interesting things have happened with that and then batman kills babies are the two you know kind of funny things and, and that story is the um jacob free in in his crib you know it, they're told you can't put stuff in the crib and he has a batman and they put a Batman in there. Batman doesn't kill babies. No, yes, Batman kills babies. They take it out. Of it. So great bumper sticker. Well, another another thing that I contemplate when reading this is, you know, the idea in society that if only someone had had those same opportunities or been born into a different life, you know, some kids never have a chance. You know, and that, this is kind of one of those stories where they're switched to birth and you see what happens when when one is provided everything and the other one is not or is treated totally different than the other one. But at the same time, you, you also see how you have to have the right heart, too. 
where the, the, the brother was kind of pompous and full of himself and, and your dark, dark sides air. And then you have Scott where he just, he's just trying to get through the chaos in his life, you know, but he has the heart and the strength. Yeah. I mean, he got through, he was raised on torture. He was raised on all the horrible things you can go through and he gets through all of that. Um, he does take that, that run at suicide. Um, but coming out of that, I mean, the book kind of expresses time and time and time again, where they're outnumbered, they're overmatched, and he just soldiers on because it's what he does. It's what, it's what Mr. Miracle does. And he, just, he has the heart to push through. And I think that's important because at the very end, when and this is, I think Tom King actually gave this book or the story. Freezing Harry, could you complete his thought, please? <laughs> I was like Harry totally broke, and all of a sudden he's like, <laughs> "Tim, we get lost." We'll get back to Tim. It is a beautiful picture. I think one of the things um, when we, it, it you know, it, when your mind dances between pop culture, there's a thing with Dark Side in a in a late confrontation that remind me of. You know the Conan the Barbarian movie where where James Earl Jones and Conan and Schwarzenegger had this confrontation, and and Jones basically says everything in your life you owe to me because I've put you through all this and made you the person you are today, and and Mr. Miracle and um, Darkseid are fighting, and he says Darkseid says you were given the greatest gift one can receive, you were given pain, pain makes you steady strong able to conquer you know but what did you do with all your pain performed married right you know you didn't use it right you know so that whole idea of this this horrible terrible torturous upbringing was to strengthen you and to make you into this you know this great person through these trials johnny cash has a song a boy named sue you know <laughs> you know the father names his son sue and he talks about having to grow up with a girl's name and then finally he's in a Tennessee bar and he runs into his dear old dad and they get into a fist fight and they're brawling out and like right before Sue's about to kill his father, his father says like the same thing. He's like, I knew I wasn't going to be around. I was going to be a dead man. <laughs> so I needed to make sure that you're going to make it in this world and be tough. So I named you Sue. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> Scott Free, a.k.a. Sue. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, we lost you. Where you were going with, um, you know, what Tom King gave to. I said this, the storyline at the end, I, I felt like there was good closure there where, you know, even, even at the end there where he's got all these people fading his, his life. It's, it's happening quickly and, and, and more substantially. And, and even the last guy, it's kind of like that, that scene in, and the last Harry Potter book or movie where Dumbledore's with Harry Potter. And, you know, he's like, well, of course this is all in your head. It doesn't mean it's not happening. Hmm. Uh, I kind of had that perspective when I'm reading it, where he's rationalizing and coming to terms. And even at the very end, when he's sitting on the couch with his wife, he's kind of talking about, man, I just had this crazy thing happen. Like as soon as we came home and here's what happened. And, uh, yeah, we're good. Like he's finally checked into life and, you know, I'm just, just going to motor through. And I, I think that that's an overwhelming theme in his book that 
a lot of people could use. Well, and as, as, as King does too, there's just so much um, of the, this kind of um, meta picking at the comic book narratives and form and this whole idea of what is it, you know, it, you've got the superhero reality, you know, and, and all that's happening. And at the same time, you've got the domestic reality of, you know, having a baby and having and, and remodeling and, you know, all the different things and the, and dealing with a, you know, kind of a con man spin guy who is, who is trying to, you know, always set up, uh, you know, funky flashman. Um, and and so that you just, all these societal pressures and, um, and you're never, you know, I, I think Jeff, your, your remark early on, I'm not sure what I just read. I think that's part of the point. You know, you're, you, you don't know how to feel comfortable because you're jarred from one reality to the next. And, and largely you're, you're figuring out, Hey, that's okay. You know, to go back and forth between these. And if, if getting married, having kids, you know, is, is an adventure in in and of itself, you know, don't have to have this like great adventure, new God's life, you know, in order to have, you know, the redeeming love that, that breaks the cycle and, and resets your life in a different way where you have a different choice that you can make. Which he does in the book. Um, you know, he's offered all these opportunities and the end of life equation. Um, it's kind of making him choose between heaven and hell each time. And then it kind of puts him in an inescapable trap. All right. So to make peace, you have to give up your son to dark side like you were raised. So all the tortures that you went through, um, you have to now do it. You know, almost like, uh, you know, when God asked Job to give up his son and sacrifice his son. Um, so another correlation there. However, instead of going along with it, Mr. Miracle's like, you know, it, the world peace does sound really good by giving up my son, but I'm just going to kill you and keep him. And, you know, and it's another instance where Big Barter and he come together and um, they're able to save his son. So, well, I'll get more on that later, but it's kind of like then it becomes changes to a story of father and son. And I am looking even more ghostly as this time's going on. I think my camera's just dying. It's all the smoke in your room. Yes, <laughs> I am hotboxing right now. <laughs> yeah, I think I think something else that I've lost my track that quick. Hold on, I had it. All right. Nope, it's gone. But Continue, Gary. One of the things <laughs> that you, you say, you know, his his response to Dark Side, his response to his whole legacy, his response to you know, you're going to carry on the the same way that you know that has always been done. There's a pretty big moment in the in the book and in a couple different places where "fu" is the the shout back, the existential, just uh-uh, not having it, not doing that way, gonna do it my own way, um, which is super powerful thing to say to in the face of the devil or the face of you know your father. You know, there's a scene later on where High Father and he are, are you know or the ghost of High Father or something. And they're having this conversation and he's just like. I'm not listening to you guys. I'm doing it my way, you know? So there we go from Johnny Cash to Frank Sinatra. <laughs> yeah. 
I think, I think too, you know, you have, so he's given up at a young age for this piece, this cosmic piece or whatever it is. Um, and the, the side on the good side would have been content to let that play out and see what happens. But at the same time, there was no peace because dark side was always pushing for the edge and what he needed to end the world and, and, and take control and, and develop it into what he wanted it to be. That's kind of what we have going on in the world where we have, you know, good is content to let everything thrive and, you know, except for evilness. Everything is good. We're, we'll leave everybody alone, but evil is never content. Evil always wants to destroy. Evil always wants to impose its will. And we have a lot of that um, in the world, especially these last two or three decades where, you know, you, you get a little bit of peace and then it's just an explosion of evil. And then you get a little bit of peace and it's a bigger explosion of evil. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool that it's, that's in the book and it's underlined the whole time through the entire book. And it, it's all about, you know, someone who was supposed to be bad saying no, and I'm going to live my life differently. And um, not only am I going to live it differently, I'm going to fight what I was raised to embrace. Yeah. And, he, um, and like you say, I think that's that um, the good person put in a bad situation who won't succumb, who won't give in and who, you know, whether it's through, you know, his upbringing of always trying to escape, you know, and just saying, uh -uh, I'm not going to just, you know, be pulled down into this, uh, which then becomes his, you know, livelihood in one way, shape or form is that continuing to escape. Exactly. And, um, you know, that's how, that's how he keeps being um, the odds. He keeps going on despite letting it defeat him. In fact, um, Dustin, you brought it up earlier, the glitchy stuff. Um, another interpretation of that is notice what all the glitchy, where the glitches happen. It's when it's uh, someone who has an expectation of him that he doesn't want, or when it's like granny goodness, the woman who tortured him growing up, but somehow in her mind loved him. Uh, you know, so it's always these, uh, it's always the things he's trying to escape. The lot, the original Mr. Miracle series ended with him and Barda getting married and leaving the war. He didn't take over for high father like he was supposed to. He didn't do any of that. He married another soldier that was raised on apocalypse and they left. So he never wanted any of that. He never wanted to be the soldier for New Genesis. He never wanted to be um, any of the things that were being placed on him. He just wanted to live with his wife. And then um, and then in the middle of that, he's given the, uh, he, he has the child, at least in this storyline, he has uh, Jacob Free. And that gives him the impetus to fight. So he's able to fight on even more because he has this child that he wants to raise with his wife and it's a great story and the whole glitches and the artwork i mean kudos to miss gerard's man he just oh dude oh it's just it, it's amazing what he brings out in that book and just the whole idea with the glitches and all um so i i just i mean th there's so much to unravel from this book it's kind of amazing when you really do a deep dive into it and I think you've got to, if you're, if you start looking at, um, you know, writer artist combos like Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, or, you know, you've got um, Donnie Cates and Stegman and um, 
you've got to go King and, and Gerard or Gerard's um, just, they just work so well together. Everything from, you know, Sheriff of Babylon to here to parts of um, Heroes in Crisis and some of the Batman stuff. I mean, they just, they're a great team. Yeah, they are. Well, even uh, Sheriff of Babylon, I think that's, um, they worked on that together. Yep. Yeah, and there's, um, I actually, there's something that I found in a Punisher book that Mitch Gerard uh, drew that I really want to ask him where he got the idea for it. But, so if I ever do, and I'll, I'll tell you guys what it is, um, if I ever get an answer. Otherwise, you're just going to have to sit there in suspense. You know, dialogue. I mean, you've got, you know, um, Scott Free and Barda, you know, sitting out off on the beach off of the, um, you know, out of the amusement park and talking about Descartes and, and you know, you know, whether or not we exist. I mean, and this is King is just, you know, always famous for this kind of stuff. There's a great line. They're coming into L.A., you know, later on, and they're talking about this kind of trap of, you know, people come out like to L.A., people come to L.A., people come here because they think they have to. Then they then they don't leave because they can't. Once they've gotten there, they can't leave. And Barta says, after everything, haven't you learned by now? That's all love is. (laughs) You're like, oh, you know, like. And then the next scene is home. And so, so there's, a, there's so many interplays of things where you can just kind of sit back and go, I'm not exactly sure what's going on right now. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a book that um, I, I would say I understood it more on this read than I did the first time through it. The first time through it, it was kind of like I was. I was like, whoa. But I also kind of felt, felt the same way about um, Heroes in Crisis as well you know that we uh talked about and this has actually inspired me i want to go back and reread his entire batman too because um that's one of the things i really like about tom king um hey i really like tom king because of his background and everything you know um his service um he he he, uh you know he takes these big superhero superhero he takes this guy who's making his own words up now he takes this big superheroic story, sometimes um, like, you know, following Jack Kirby, you can't out cosmic story, Jack Kirby. You just can't. Um, and then even I'll go as far as one of the follow-ups to Jack Kirby was Jim Starlin, who created, who created Thanos. He wrote New Gods for a while. And, you know, he, you can't out cosmic that guy either. I mean, you're talking about two legends when it comes to these cosmic stories. And, um, so he took these really big, lofty, in some ways personal to both him and the original creator, cosmic concepts, and he wrote a story with this. Um, well, I'll focus on this first, but he wrote a story with Mr. Miracle that took all these huge concepts, these huge metaphysical concepts, and made them very personal. Like you feel very, it's very internalized and personal to the character, but yet in the same theme with the same concepts. Um, he did the same with, you know, he, he did the same with his run on Batman. He took this super, he took this heroic story, this detective story, all these different things that happened during his incredibly long run that still is going to continue with Batman and Catwoman. Um, 
and he made it a very personal story for the character. Um, again, with Heroes in Crisis, same concept. He took, you know, it, it's a superhero story. And when you attach Crisis to it, you're like, oh, man. And he made it a very personal story for the character involved, which if you want to know what I'm talking about, you're just going to have to listen to our other podcast. I'm sorry. Shameless plug time. But, uh, you know, and it doesn't always end the way you want it to, nor does it always end with closure, which is real. So he takes these lofty comic concepts, but yet at the same time includes real life. Real life doesn't always end with a satisfying closure to the story. Plus there's more story to come. Like he says at the end, you know, and this is just that particular reality at that time. There's a kind of running, you know, Twitter joke with that Tom King plays into. And, you know, in considering a story like, okay, you know, who is he? How can I make him sad? And can he stare out a window into the rain? You know, kind of thing. Because there's always this, you know, inherent sadness of whatever's going on. Um, and this, this, you know, just this angst. There's a, you get the sense from, Scott Free, who, you know, by virtue of High Father dying, becomes High Father, becomes God. And he's got a great line where, you know, he's just kind of in this uncertain place. And he says, you know, I'm a God. I'm supposed to know things. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything, mm -hmm. you know. And I mean, man, I, I, I feel that every day, you know. <laughs> so that's how I read this. Yeah. I read this whole thing as a midlife crisis. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think hundred percent. Yeah. Like, and I don't know if I, it's just cause I'm going through my own <laughs> midlife. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like, I read it as like, you know, it's kind of like he did what he was doing coming out of Kirby, leaving the work and he married, having a baby, all that stuff um, performing. Mm -hmm. uh, but it almost, you know, there's that scene in there where, Barta like kind of challenges head at him head on and it's mm -hmm. like, are you, were you trying to escape from me? Right. You know, and it's like mm -hmm. this, like he's trying to figure out. And that's kind of how I read the, you know, the first, fourth, third, second, third, fourth world kind of thing was like, that's almost like a man's journey or a human's journey mm -hmm. is the first world being you're, you're learning from what your parents grew up in and what they're trying to escape from mm -hmm. the second world is what you actually grow up in you know so you still have these things in the back of like you know like uh i don't know i mean we all have it like you know our parents were trying to escape from mm -hmm. their parents and what they believed and you know same thing and then the third world is us doing it we're coming out but then that fourth world is actually saying all right, I'm free from all this. That's what imagination? What, yeah, yeah. Like, and it, it goes to the ultimate question of what is the good life? Yeah. You know, and I think that's probably top three of the you know most important philosophical questions that's ever been discussed by you know the greats. Mm -hmm. But the, it's the question that subconsciously we are asking ourselves every day. Yep. And I think that's what he's at least that's how I interpret. What he's trying to do is he's trying to interpret that as, you know, he's asking himself, what is the good life? Is the good life the married life that I have? Is the good life, you know, maybe hearing Gary say he's going back to try and fix 
all the expectations or failures he has? Mm -hmm. Is the good life going back and taking away all the regrets? Or is the good life now saying, F that, (laughs) I'm going to do what I want. Well, and that's the beauty of the story is I'm assuming that you're spot on based on um, some of the interviews I've read um, is they're not mutually exclusive. That's also a part of it. Um, Like say, say what you said again about the fourth world. Like the fourth world is like, you know, so the third world, I see it as like that kind of twenties, early thirties kind of life where you're like, all right, I'm going to do what everybody else does. I'm going to get married, have to find the job, you know, and I, maybe I'm speaking from this experience. Like at, at 30 years old, I found the woman of my dreams. I have amazing kids. I've planted a church and what everybody thought was the hardest area on the shore. Like I accomplished my dreams, you know? And now I'm like, Oh, what's next Mm -hmm. now? You know, what, what do I do next? And so I'm like in this, like existential, like, ah, do I want to do this for 30 years? Do Mm -hmm. we know what is going to happen in that fourth world is finally saying, all right, I've accomplished kind of the, what everybody should accomplish in life. But now what do I want to actually live as? Sort of what he's saying at the end of this book. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's this this brilliant scene that Dustin helps, you know, and it's the it's young Scott Free, you know, kind of drawing. It says, and the son asked, "What is the fourth world?" And the father said, "The first world is the old world, the world of my parents, from which they fled." So that's your first world, you know, the the old world of the parents. The second world is the new world, which they sought, which which they sought, which they found, which where I came to be. So, you know, second world. The third world is our world as it is now in the making, the future being born. So, And then the fourth world, my child, that is my world, the world I see when I close my eyes. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, man, that's just a goosebump line of that, you know, what's inside you that you want to bring into being when you close your eyes, what do you see that doesn't involve anybody else's world? Yeah. Aristotle says we all have a vision of the good life. You know, none of us are living the good life now because we have something which, you know, the the anti-life equation is really just the killer of hope, Mm -hmm. right? The good life is really, what are you looking? What are you hoping towards? Right. The anti-life equation can be argued to be those doubts that crop into our head every time we're approaching what we consider to be the good life. Yeah. And, um, and then like, so that's why, that's why where, you know, people say he's dead at the end. It can be argued that maybe he's not, maybe he's in the trap that he turned into the fourth world for himself. Cause at the end he's where he wants to be. He's with the loving wife, with his son, with his, you well, know, that's the world. He's, he's a god can god die i mean who's what's to say that right he didn't die a couple of different times and he just this is the current life he's living it's almost like the first second third and fourth world he just this is the world i've created for myself mm-hmm. that's the real part. my world that would be the question yeah. is that is that the is that the real part of, that's with him and all this you know that's because she pulls him out of the you know, of his various places where he gets kind of stuck. Yeah. She's like, you know, yeah, kind of smacks him into reality a bit. Yeah. 
she does that in the original material too. <laughs> she's, it's so funny because like when you look at um when you look at the character, she's a warrior raised, a warrior born. So like when it comes to she, she's like soft and can be supportive in all the stories I read, but then when it, it reaches a point where she's like smack man up, you know, <laughs> so um, which we all need at times, um, but that's also vague and he purposely leaves vague and right at the time um that this story took off was right when rebirth happened so all the new 50 so uh, huh what happened uh dc rebirth so oh. right 52 was trans trans uh what's the word i'm looking for um becoming dc rebirth and at the end of the new 52 the dark side war that jeff johns had written um they defeated Darkseid, spoiler alert, by the way. Um, and uh, part of getting the assistance to defeat Darkseid, Barda had to make a deal with the female Furies that she would go back to Apocalypse with them and serve on Apocalypse. Wow. So moving into this story, it could be kind of argued that he's separated by Barda and that's not the real Barda, but then at the same time, it could be. You don't know. Um, it's kind of odd that, you know, one of the things that kind of leads toward it might be his perfect vision of Barda in this perfect world that he's now found himself in because her eyes keep changing color. Mm. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of vagueness that's left up to interpretation. Um, the way I choose to see it personally, because that's the most important, is that uh, is that she's not. She, he's in this um, anti-life equation, afterlife um, world. He's turned and envisioned for himself, and this is his um, perfect version of his wife, which is pretty close to how she's always been characterized. So, um, you know, I'm lucky. I live in a world where I live with the perfect version of my wife. Nice. Since this is being recorded, you know, that that's important for you to say, but well, she was listening, she was watching. <laughs> but um, and I can't find it. I mean, they they bring it out in places where it's outright said, is it hell did he escape? Is it paradise did he decide to stay? I mean, there's uh there's so many places where you just kind of you you're yeah, but in that in that also depending on his mindset too. I mean, maybe utopia is not where he wanted to be. Maybe he wanted to be where there was a struggle. You know, yeah. I, I mean, you never know. Some, some people thrive on chaos. You know, the, the idea that, you know, Barda is just a version of his perfect wife um, who keeps him in check, tells him off when he needs to be told off. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it, to me, it's just, I don't know, it's kind of hard to put in words. Yeah. But it, and, if, and if he is living in a in an alternate reality or just stuck into in an equasive type person uh, situation where he can't quite move forward, move sideways, move backwards, and like, yeah, and he's just stuck there. Um, he has an interesting version of perfect because he's going through struggles all the time. I mean, like I said earlier, fighting against all odds, always being outnumbered. Uh, and then you have the pressures of real life, like family and stuff getting in the way and all that happening. I mean, it, to me, my perfect life would remove at least a little bit of that chaos. Mm. 
and and if it is his version of a, of the way his wife the way he thinks his life should go man he's he's uh chewing on a lot of a lot of uh baggage well you know and, and a lot of these have are, are, are autobiographical with king to a degree you know who was a cia operative you know who who realized that he he can't be all in for the CIA when he's got kids at home and he's got, you know, and, and, and not wanting to just abandon. So that's a push pull that goes on with him too, in that, you know, when he decided to join the CIA it was post nine 11 that said, I'm going to go in and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to help, you know? Um, so I think there's, you can always find him inserted into what's going on. Um, and there's actually a scene with him and Gerard's right in the in the book, you know, sitting in, as fans and in, in the audience in places. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, like Gary, uh, this is my second time reading it through, and and actually, I think each one that we've done so far, you know, I, I reread Born Again, I reread um, The Ultimates, and reread the and it, every time you're like, man, there's so much more here that I've forgotten. I read the first time. And that's that. That's the sign of a book that's going to endure. You know, six months from now, I can pick it up again and go, "Oh man, that's right. I've forgotten all this stuff in it." So, Dustin, you um, you were talking about the glitches, and it was a really good example. And you also mentioned him putting his feet on dark side, but it's kind of like a really good example of how the glitches like represent those uh, doubts in himself and those things that try to drag him down. Um, you know, kind of like we are when we're walking through our daily walks and there are things in the world that rip us from our focus. And um, I, I love it because it's after they've defeated Darkseid. He's where he wants to be. And it's right there on that page. Like, look, he's uh, he's with his son, going himself, and there's a glitch of Darkseid sitting on the couch with him. And instead of giving in and being like, oh, man, there's Darkseid, he's like, yeah, don't put my feet on him. So, you know, he just takes his worries and his fears and all that crap. And he's like, makes a good place to prop my feet. Well, and now, and now like thinking about it, I think I want to flip back and I think he's alive. <laughs> and I think uh, when the, the, the scene that I knew you were going to say that <laughs> the scene he's pointing out to where the bug, the bug leader mm -hmm. who did die. And he's like, oh, you're in hell. I, I think I was reading that as the for sure, like, oh, he did die. But now, like, looking back and thinking of the glitches, like, um, I think he is alive. The bug's just not describing that he's in literal hell. Right. But because he still hasn't escaped the struggles that come with life, they're still there, but he has a new focus, you know? Like, Darkseid still is in the back of his mind, but maybe it's right. Darkseid was. Well, see, I, I always, I, I take that scene with Darkseid on the couch, meaning he's never going away. Darkseid still is, you yeah. know, like that's, you know, he's always going to be his. Um, speaking of which, you say Darkseid and Thanos, and it always makes me laugh how similar they look to one another. And so that's really the the, the crossover battle that you need is Darkseid versus Thanos. Yeah. You know, that'd be a, you know. Not Darkseid versus the anti-mother. Oh, oh, you know, put the two heavy bad guys against each other. Wow. What's really neat with what you said, Mike, is the same thing can be said about your self-doubts. Even things that you've conquered years ago, yep. they're always lying under the surface. They're always sitting there um, waiting for you to trip again. Um, 
besides a good representation of that throughout everything. I mean, his whole mission is to completely subvert you to him. So are our vices. So are the things that are there to knock us off of our pedestal. All of that. It's the same concept. Those type of things can take you over just like the character of Darkseid wants to in the storyline. Um, it's very much like what we read in Daredevil Born Again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of the very, there's a similar theme there of he could let fear and just absolute suffering take over, you know, but he doesn't. He pushes through. I think we all have that in us. You know, you have, you have to choose to get up and get out of bed. You have to choose to, uh, to move on when life is difficult. Have you guys ever seen that motivational speech by the, he's a ranking mill. I was, I think he's an admiral, but he talks about making your bed, yeah. like getting up and getting moving. And we all have to face that. We have to face that, you know, when we have any issues, um, teenage kids have to worry about um, peer pressure, finishing reports, you know, even publicly having to, to look the right look and, and things like that. And, you know, we all have those, those struggles of do we just, do we keep going or do we throw in the towel? And we, we're living in a society now where a lot of people are throwing in the towel. You know, by, you look at, you look at the extreme increase in, in diagnosis of bipolar and other mental disorders and things like that. And, you know, we live in a world where sadly people are just, they're throwing in the towel, they're giving up. You know, they don't have a lot of hope in them. So, I mean, I think everybody could relate to that. We all have moments where we don't want to, we don't want to get out of bed or we don't want to have that conversation. We don't want to go to that place, but sometimes we don't have a choice. Word. That's true. I, we're all, I, there's also, you know, that the whole dark side is aspect of it, of, man, there's some, you know, terrible stuff that, that I think sometimes it, it's nothing new under the sun, but, you know, kids get utterly confused and, and don't, you know, always have guidance to help pull them through things. They, you know, they're just, you know, and it's just, I look at it frequently now and I think about, you know, my daughters growing up. I'm like, man, I am glad I'm not growing up right now. Mm-hmm. It, just because, you know, the, the choices and the, you know, life is basically being recorded everywhere they are and all these different kinds of aspects of life, you know, the, the, the pressures that they face, you know, when, when we were at home, when I was at home after a day of school, you know, you had one phone in the house. And, and so when you were up in your room, you're in your room and you didn't have to worry about what everybody, you know, now social media, there's no, there's never an off switch for kids. Even when they put their phone down, they're worried, you know, about what else what people are saying, what's going on. Yeah. I don't know. It's, but I hear you, Tim. It is always that, you know, decision. Are you going to get up, you know, are you going to, you know, make that call? (laughs) I think about all the ghosts that kind of haunt, uh, Scott free throughout the story. <laughs> and it makes me think of a line in, or, or a situation in cheers where, uh, Woody and Fraser crane are talking to each other and Woody's talking about, you know, he says, yeah, well, you know, back in wherever he was, uh, I can't think of a, what his hometown was that he always used to talk about. French lick was one of them, but I think that's where, Larry Bird was supposed to have been from. 
Um, and he says, you know, how we deal with things? Oh, we don't talk about it. You know, we don't really bring it out. We just push it down and just push it down and just push it down, you know, and just, you know, and Fraser Crane just walks by and goes, tick, tick, tick. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that, you know, if, if you don't deal with the ghosts, if you don't deal with that stuff, you know, sooner or later, it's coming back for, you know, on you. So um, I wanted to take a minute to just look at some of the supporting characters in the book outside of Barda and his son and Darkseid and High Father, you know, outside of everyone. Um, no, there's um, Orion and Forager and Metron. Um, and Light Ray. Light Ray. And Light yep. Ray. <laughs> Funky Flashman. Yeah. Um, and, but I personally want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's look let's look at orion orion is um the son of dark side he's the actual birth son of dark side that in that whole trade that mike described earlier he was sent to new genesis to be raised so he was raised in paradise while high father's actual son was raised in hell apocalypse so um so basically orion is the guy who wants to be scot-free. He wants to be the real son of High Father. He loves High Father, the man who raised him. Um, takes over for him when Scott won't. And so he always has that because he was born of dark side, he can never be that pure scot-free. I mean, scot-free was taken completely out of his environment and raised on apocalypse and still turned out to be this good redeeming character for the most part. Whereas Orion still has Wolverine like savage rages he gets caught in in the storylines because of his, um, because of the side of him as dark side. And he's, he's the warrior, he's the, the killer on the battlefield meant to kill dark side. Um, and so it's probably going to drive him nuts that Scott Free won't take his destiny, that Scott Free has found something that he considers better than the duty that High Father puts before him. And you even see him, he needles him all the time throughout the storyline. He forced him to see hard truths too. Like there's a scene where we're talking about the glitches. Um, it's one of the only scenes I remember, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but where Scott himself actually glitches. Like most of the time, it's other characters that glitch, but it's a scene in where Orion is challenging his beliefs and he himself glitches. And um, it was a, it was, I can't find it now, but it was a crazy scene that I would show you if I had, oh, yes. Jeff, am I still allowed to share my screen or have you blocked my permissions? No, I believe you can still share. All right, so, and... There it is. So we talked about how the glitches are those like things that are holding them back at times. And look, it's himself. Cause these are like, it seems like these are moments where he's really questioning his beliefs. Uh -huh. And even at this time, Orion's like, again, your lack of knowledge will not save or condemn you. Only your beliefs can. Um, so it's almost like Orion is part Jiminy Cricket part jerk off older brother definitely right. the jerk off part comes through loud and clear i think yeah 
And there's even a point where he causes them to break down and Mr. Miracle kicks the crap out of them. So he's almost like that, that brother that just needles you no matter what, because he knows you're the favorite. Kind of like how Jeff is to all of you all, because he knows that he's my favorite personally. And even though, <laughs> um, and then, so then you take a look at, um, his actual two Jiminy crickets kind of were Metron and Forager. They both try to warn him that something's not right. Even though he, he, they, they kind of confirm what he feels the entire time that something's not right. Um, th they both end up with horrible fates because of it. Um, but they're there. Now Metron is like essentially for lack of better terms, the uh, God of knowledge. Whereas uh Forager is you called him Bug, which is great, because that's what they call him throughout the entire um, storylines, even written by Jack Kirby. But he's actually a new god that was orphaned and raised by the bugs, which um, the, the bugs on New Genesis are really weird. They're human-sized, and some of them look human, but they're actually bugs. Um, I, sometimes I think that the comic creators do imbibe a little bit when they're coming up with characters, which is kind of interesting. But, um, well, I know some of them do from their interviews, but it's kind of... Um, it's kind of neat where both those characters and Forager basically has died in every storyline that I think he's been in, except for his own book that I really want to check out that was written by Gerard Way and uh, drawn by uh, Mike Allred. It was just, just came out in the past few years and it's called Bug. But um, it's a, uh, those two characters were kind of neat because they are always this, um, in a way they've been, um, you know, the, uh, the X machinas of previous stories, they've, um, they've come in and they've been that foil that gives them what they need to suddenly defeat, defeat the villains. Metron, who's kind of, um, yeah, I wouldn't say he's a good guy either. He's just the God of knowledge. So he may it sometimes turn out to be a Loki type of new God, um, where, you know, you can't really decide But he'll come in certain storylines and be like, here's that Miss P you needed to be. Forager just shows up and sacrifices himself. So just kind of interesting the roles that they took in this story. And I think King has, um, it's interesting. I mean, Gary, you're talking about the, the, the supporting characters in, in this book and also, often that's kind of what king does a little bit is take supporting characters you know and and make them main characters to see what you would do with them you know like the yeah this whole thing with mr miracle is really interesting and then after he finished this one adam strange is the one that he's working on now with strange adventures who's gotten some attention, but has never been like the big hero. You know, and so I think you end up with King and the same way he took, you know, Kyle Rayner instead of how Jordan, I mean, he, you know, he's always taking like, you know, a character kind of from the, the same thing in Heroes in Crisis. Right. Right. With Booster Gold and uh, yep. So yeah, it's the sideline guys who then get the spotlight for a little while. But I think you give them a little more creative freedom 
when it's a guy who people, you know, you make one wrong move with Batman and Superman, you have a whole, you know, Upper. peanut gallery who's going crazy. Oh, you can't, Batman would never do that, you know? I'm like, oh, great, okay. Um, but yeah, I have to say, there, there's, there's something to King's books that um, always introduces something that I hadn't thought about or seen and leaves you thinking differently than when you started. And that's what I look for in, in writers that I really like. You know, do you, are you changed having read them? And, and King is certainly one of those guys. So do we have, Skirker, you're muted. So you're... <laughs> No, I really like how um, I really like how, just like you said, King, um, he he really throws in a lot of metaphysical as well as reality, and he mixes them really well. And it does; it makes you question, it makes you look at things, and um, yeah, it it makes you search, kind of. You end up searching your own feelings. Search your feelings, Tim. Yeah. Um, you end up kind of searching your own feelings. I think he, I think he also takes a lot of. The Good. He he takes a lot of the typical action-filled comics with little, small character developments, and he reverses it. Like he focuses on a long-term project of character development with a little bit of action mixed in. Like this book did not have a ton of action; it was more dialogue, interpersonal thought processes. I mean, he he really dove into the human psyche. He did the same thing in Heroes in Crisis. Um, there was a lot more action in that, but there was a lot of um, internal um, analysis going on there between the different characters that he was using. Yeah, you need to check out uh, Sheriff of Baghdad, too. Like, if you really like this, like, Sheriff of Baghdad is a really good... I mean, yeah, and that's everything he wrote. Seriously. <laughs> so what's our next book? What's that? What's our next book of the month? I was thinking that... Um, I don't know. Uh, Mark Millar, we've done Tom King. And we've, we've done, done Frank, Frank Miller. Miller. I mean, we could, you know, are, are we looking for a Grant Morrison type deal? Or are we, or we, do we take, do we go, you know, out of the, the main name superheroes and go to something like, um, you know, a planetary with Warren Ellis? Which is not, which are not characters that you know everybody knows. Um, Planetary is an amazing, but you know, Planetary is hard because it's twenty-seven issues. Though, like, would you want to just do the first trade? Yeah, but that leaves a lot hanging. Uh, I mean, I'm all for reading twenty-seven issues over again. <laughs> I don't know about everyone else. I would do that. I would read Planet. I've probably read Planetary about five times straight through, and probably read it again. I have that on the same way with planetary or we could take Ellis's um, it's a single trade that he did for Moon Knight. Yeah, we haven't really done a lot of Marvel. I mean, we just did Born Again. Yeah, no. And then we did Ultimates with Marvel. You want to do we all at one point agreed on Descender. If we've read that, we could discuss that while we take on one of these bigger projects i've not done descender i don't know it i don't know it's um it's jeff lemire, lemire. 
I'd be down. I have um I have the first trade right here if anybody wants to borrow it. I do too. Or if you want to get yeah. um I could do descender. I I um should we should we end the episode as far as the recording goes? And then we'll just we'll discuss this. Yeah, yeah. Afterwards. So should we do parting shots on Mr. Miracle then? Yeah. Um, oh, I thought you meant parting shots on each other because I said yeah, that works too. Well, we need a dynamic duo to squeeze in. <laughs> Embrace. I have decided my big takeaway is I need to update my wardrobe to wear all the superhero shirts that Mr. Miracle wears throughout the. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. That's right. That's I love favorite. that. Yep. And yeah. I think he always throws Easter eggs in there. The last shirt that Mr. Miracle is wearing is is Adam Strange, uh, which was foreshadowing that that was going to be. No one knew that that was going to be his next series yet, yeah. and he kind of threw a little couple eggs in there for that. And they're all DC hero shirts too. Yeah, King has an exclusive contract with DC. Yeah. So, Celsius. <laughs> I I love all. Yeah, Gary. No, Tim. I insist. Or going first, or going second. But we'll we'll close with you since you have more insight on it. I I didn't mind this this uh, book. I I am honestly I'm shallow when it comes to this kind of stuff. I prefer action over dialogue. Um, but the way he goes into the character development, it's worth it's worth the read. You know, I, I think that King definitely works very hard to to develop his characters and to give you. Um, an insight into them. Like I, one of the things I liked about it, he just talked about him wearing all these heroes on his t-shirt and stuff. But so he never uh, truly embraces his superhero status. Like everybody recognizes him and goes, Hey, you're Mr. Miracle. And he's like, Oh, Hey, can I get some milk? Like mm -hmm. he just, he doesn't see himself as the hero. You know, he's, he kind of feels like let Superman, all of them have all the glory and I'm just going to do what I got to do. And, I like that about that character. I had never read Mr. Miracle before. I would have never picked it up if you guys hadn't suggested it. But I thought he did a really good job of expanding on a character that um, could have just been superficial. I agree. Um, I, I really enjoyed it because it gave me a chance to, um, you know, and most of our podcasts do the same thing. It really gives me a chance to pull upon all that useless knowledge that I have in my head. Um, to be able to regurgitate it to everyone. So, um, you know, but it, it's, um, it, it was, uh, it's probably one of my favorites. And uh, just one more screen share, if I'm allowed. Um, it's kind of funny that we happen to have to do this today. We had to reschedule. Um, they just released uh, DC solicitations for September today. And on, and in it is, the same book that we're reading but with a different cover and i really love that cover mm -hmm. so um you know just a, it's always like it's kind of funny when they come out with new versions of the book i'm like it's the same book but i love that cover but uh so i don't know it's, kind of, it's my favorite book that he's written so far um i'm really looking forward to see what he does with adam strange mm -hmm. uh because, I mean, what he did with Mr. Miracle is incredible. And already just from the first issue of Adam Strange, it seems like there's a really good story there. 
one of the things that, you know, King makes you uncomfortable and he, and he been, and you don't know if you're going to come away with hope or despair, you know, <laughs> that's a, yeah. And so you're like, Whoa. And there's a, you know, almost towards the end, you know, Barda and Scott free are sitting on the couch and, and Scott's just describing this um, experience of looking into his son's eyes and, and each other's eyes and seeing, you know, feel like his son is seeing all the way back to their to his ancestors and that he's seeing all the way kind of into the future and and just how overwhelming it was in this big span of just like dizziness um and then he says you know and i was scared to be that small deep down scared i almost wanted to run away it was a trap but then i thought all those people together they're not real anymore or yet. They went or they're coming, but they're not here now. And I'm here now, you know, and you're here. Jake's here. Even this new little girl, she's here. And then I wasn't scared. I didn't have to run. And I just enjoyed it, seeing all of it, all of us, going backward and forward, like looking into the face of God. And that's why I just put the book down like, oh, man, you know, that just, you know, those moments of that kind of dread of being overwhelmed and then being able to hold on to something, whether it's love, whether it's, you know, of a spouse, of a child. And, and to me, Mr. Miracle has those moments throughout it where you just, you all of a sudden you're holding on to something that you didn't know you were going to be able to grab onto. And so that's cool. Yeah. Dustin, yeah. anything? Nah, that, uh, I'd like to end with that. <laughs> <laughs> you should check it. Hit Hit All right. Well, without further ado, uh, thanks everyone for joining us tonight who joined us. Um, we did get some interaction. Um, there was... There was one um, watcher who actually uh, looks like they posted something and it got deleted. Um, so if you want to hop back on there and post it again, if you're still watching, please feel free. Um, it was really great. There were some people interacting and that was fun. We hope to see that more. Uh, you know, shoot us questions while we're on here live. Um, I won't ignore them, but I can't guarantee we can answer them, but we'll, we'll try to answer them. Uh, I'll just pass all questions off to Jeff. And the, the guy having tech issues today, who's also hosting this, ironically. And, and we know Jeff is still waiting for the This Is Us issue. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for everyone that joined us. And uh, please feel free to rewatch. See you next time. Bye. <laughs> And we'll sit on here for another five minutes. Just silently staring awkwardly. <laughs>